All right. So do you believe you live in a nation that's founded on principles like no other? Come on and say amen if you believe that. Uh, indeed, we do. And I uh, want to welcome you again today. Jesus welcomes you, and we welcome you. Just give you an update of some things coming up. <clears throat> again, Kelly, I believe it is, will be preaching or sharing next week. Uh, we've been going through the Conflict of the Age series here as a church together, and we're around chapter 50, somewhere like that, give or take. Um, so anyway, I believe Kelly's going to be doing something on that. Uh, it's one of her favorite books, and so that will be a real blessing. Uh, hope you'll be here for that. Then on the 17th through the end of the month, we continue in the study of the book of Zechariah. Zechariah's one world order, that's from the last part of chapter 5. We'll look at the first part of chapter 5 today. Four chariots of Zechariah, it's in chapter 6. Christ as priest and king. And then we have the 9-11 tribute, which um, Senator Bison may very well be here. Um, we have a service that's going to happen at 11 o'clock that week, so we're going to switch a little, little different on the timing. And then uh, for, the, for, the, for some of the delegation, there'll be a lunch then at 12.30. And then at 2 o'clock, there'll be another, um, shall we say, celebration of 9-11. Uh, and this is to honor our police, our firemen, our first responders, if you were any one of those and you would like to wear your uniform, we would encourage that. Uh, the Pathfinders will be involved in this also. So we're super exciting, uh, excited. I think I told you we have Admiral Bigger, who is from um, Washington State. He's Seventh-day Adventist, teaches at Walla Walla. And he was at the Pentagon when the plane hit the Pentagon. Then he was reassigned to the Twin Towers. So he, he knows both areas quite well. And um, so looking forward to this, may God be glorified in it as we honor uh, those that have given their lives and risk their lives daily for us. Tony Moore then is going to do, we, we've been trying to get with Tony Moore here for this is about the third iteration of when exactly he would come or, and exactly what he would do. But it looks like he's going to do his archaeological um, uh, presentations just before our evangelistic series. So you'll definitely want, want to hear that. Tony does a great job on that. And that series, Jesus on Prophecy, Paul Punch, starts October 1. So keep these things in mind. Keep praying for these things. There's a spiritual hunger out in the world today. Do you believe that? I give you a case in point. The canvassing teams across North America, their sales are just just like double what they normally would be. Um, Camille Metz, amen, praise the Lord. Camille Metz's team, at the end of the second week, they were at their normal sales level for six weeks. Um, to me, this is the biggest news. I'm like, I told him at camp, I'm like, you need to be up there multiple times. I mean, this is amazing. But maybe that's just me, I don't know. But our kids, of course, are uh, Zomi, are going out canvassing. And I was privileged to be able to drive for them yesterday. And again, they had a great day. They're meeting people one after another that there's a spiritual hunger out there. One gentleman in particular, this is a story from a little bit in the past. He just kept asking, who sent you? Who sent you to my door? 
<clears throat> and that's exactly what Ellen White had said, that people would be wistfully looking to heaven, just hoping, just praying that someone would come to their door. And it's being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. Like the other things that this church has taught for all these years, God is fulfilling his word. Amen? And he will do it again today. We continue in the book of Zechariah. The last warning message, Zechariah 5, 1 through 4. This is our sixth message. And so the last warning message is also a message of mercy. But is it really the last days? Do you believe it's the last days, anyone? It is. Uh, but the question is, really, is the sand in the hourglass of time, I mean, is it really running out? I mean, maybe this is just cyclical. We're just going through another cycle, and things will just continue on. Well, one uh, religious leader thinks we're in the last days, and that is the Pope. And he said this, June 4, just very recently from Vatican City, we are warned that we have little time left. Scientists say the next 10 years, <clears throat> the span of this UN decade, to restore the ecosystem. Now you see where he's going with this. It's about Mother Earth, restoring Mother Earth, and that's the direction things are heading. The many warnings we are experiencing, among which we can see, these are the warnings, he says, COVID-19 and global warming are pushing us to take urgent action. Let him who hears understand. And this I thought was amazing too. Talk about counterfeit and the true. The Laudato Si revolution, they call it. And this is what he said there. Or this is what it said there. <clears throat> there is little time left for humanity to change its course if we are to avoid catastrophic consequences for Earth's community of life. We have read and discerned the signs of the time. I'm like, whoa, when I read that, I'm like, they've read it, have we read it? Are we reading it? And then this last line got me. May we take our proper place as the restoration generation. Do you know who the restoration generation is? That's us. <laughs> that's God's last day remnant church. But that's not what we're reading here. Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That book, Great Controversy, will be there soon enough in our series. Jesus looking down to the last generation. Saw the world involved in a deception similar to that which caused the destruction of Jerusalem. But it was different. It was similar, but there was a difference. The great sin of the Jews was their rejection of Christ. The great sin of the Christian world would be their rejection of the law of God. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, as we get into your holy word now in the book of Zechariah and Romans and other places, we just ask your spirit to be with us. Lord, are we reading the signs of the times? Others know that time is winding down. Time is nearly up. It's nearly over. Do we know it? And are we living every day for you? Allowing you to do your work in our lives with that early rain that the latter rain might fall fully and completely on us soon to come. Send your spirit as we study now. May understanding be clear. May conviction run deep. And may application be made to every heart by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5, the easiest way to get there if you're new to your Bible is from Matthew, go backwards, and you'll find it there just on the other side of Malachi. Zechariah chapter 5, and we noted before that in these first names of these, this genealogy here is really the message of the whole book, sort of in summary. Zechariah meant God remembers. Berechiah means God blesses, and Edo means at the appointed time. There's a message there for us, isn't it? God remembers and God blesses in his time. His time is not our time. That's why when we can't trace his hand, we must trust his love. Previous visions, we're now in the sixth vision out of eight. Remember, he had eight visions in one night. And we're going into the sixth now, but a quick review since we've been away. We had communion and then camp meeting. We saw the red horse rider in chapter one, and he's down among the myrtle trees, right? And those myrtle trees kind of represent us as people. And when you rub the myrtle leaf, it has a sweet smell to it. And so Christ can keep our temperament sweet even when we are in a down time. And that red horse rider is right there with us, none other than Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Then we saw later in the end of chapter one, the four horns and the four metal workers. So this was another Daniel, Daniel two, Daniel seven episode, right? Of the four kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. But for every one that arose, there was one to take care of it or to put it down so that God's people would continue. Then we saw the man with the measuring line, measuring Jerusalem, and how God's plan for us was bigger than we could possibly think. Then in chapter 3, we saw the vision of Joshua, right? And we had the the two robes up here, and we, we saw what imputation meant, double imputation, and how God has done something for the human race to prepare it for faith. And those who have faith, of course, we saw in the next chapter with the vision of the lampstand with the two olive trees, right? I mean, this always abundant supply of oil. So some very interesting visions here in the book of Zechariah. God's goal for us, for you, is to restore back to unbroken fellowship with him. And that's what he's doing in this, our day. We saw the moral problem. The law says, and we're going to be talking about the law in some depth here, 
that sin leads to death and that all have sinned. And so we saw this from, this had been two sermons ago now, before you could turn to the Lord in confession, repentance, and obedience, and certainly God wants that, God must solve the legal problem first between the holy law and the sinful race. That's exactly what he did on the cross. He has snatched the race as a brand plucked from the fire. By his human nature, he is linked with man, while through his divine nature, he is one with the infinite God. Help is brought within the reach of perishing souls. The adversary is rebuked. Come on and say amen if that's good news. That's a work of Christ on our behalf with his long human arm. He's encircled humanity while with his divine arm he grasps the throne of the infinites. It's always his strength, right? Not ours. It's all about him. Right, Russell? That's <laughs> what Russell says all the time. So back at you, absolutely. Right? So our grasp on him may seem feeble. And doesn't it sometimes? It's like, I don't know if I can hold on anymore. But think about this. But his love is that of an elder brother so long as we maintain our union with him. No one can pluck us out of his hand. Amen? That's our God. We may be accused. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does, right? So that's his MO. That's who he is. But in this case, when Mary was thrown at a heap at the feet of Jesus, he began writing in the dust there. And what happened to the accusers? Gone, one after another. Christ silences the bold accuser himself. The one who comes to me, Christ says, I will by no means cast out. Oh, you can come to him today. Then we saw in chapter 4 how God makes that union happen. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit-laden Word of God, which we can store up, right? There's a parable about ten virgins. All had an issue but five had stored something up. The Holy Spirit-laden Word of God. So that chapter is about the relationship that we can have, that we should have, that we do have, that we want to have with the Lord our God. And those two olive trees, I mean, this is just a system that's working, right? Amazing, abundant, never-failing, fully satisfying supply. Are you taking advantage of it? Well, the last message of mercy today, sermon in a sentence, the same law, a picture of God's character that God in love promises to write on our heart to give us life. And that's crucial, right? We just went through a whole Sabbath school quarterly, right? About the new covenant, God writing the law on our hearts. Any... Um, Theology of salvation without meeting the demands of the law is incomplete, right? The demands of the law need to be met. 
And why is the covenant, if the covenant wasn't so important, I was just looking as I was up here, hmm, I wonder how many times in the book of Daniel chapter 11, it speaks of the holy covenant, the holy covenant, the prince of the covenant. It's at least four times. It's important. It's a last day thing. God wants to write the law on our hearts. So the same law that God in love promises to write on our heart to give us life is the same law that will judge the sinner leading to annihilation. That's what our scripture tells us today. Go with me there. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I've got, as they call it, the authorized version today, the King James, says this, Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll or a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. The length thereof is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that steals will be cut off as on this side according to it. And everyone that swears or swears falsely by my name, as it says further, shall be cut off as on that side according to it. That's an important phrase that we'll look at. Verse 4. And I will bring it forth. So God says, I will bring it forth, says the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, Yahweh Sabaoth. And it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and with the stones thereof. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. All right, let's unpack it a little. So we see that this is a curse to all wicked. Wicked are cut off. Psalm 37 brings that out quite clearly along with many, many other places. We see in this place, God brings it. It enters the house. It remains in the house and it consumes. Verse 1. This flying scroll. All right, we have time. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. We're going to look at a few scriptures on this flying scroll. And I will just tell you right now that this is talking about the Word of God. More specifically, it's talking about the Ten Commandments. Why do I think so? You'll see in the scriptures. But interesting, this is, this is a mega scroll, right? This is a big scroll. I mean, 15 feet by 30 feet, um, which the, that size is very interesting. We'll get into what that size has to do with some other contexts. But it's a mega scroll, in the book of Revelation, we read about a message going forth with a mega voice, a loud voice. So if you're looking at Ezekiel chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 7 and onward, <clears throat> Ezekiel's job was not going to be an easy one. 
In fact, it may look unsuccessful, but it's successful if you're doing what the Lord told you. Amen? Success is in his hands. Verse 7, And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will not, or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be thou not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book. Just like the roll we see in Zechariah, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. Very similar passage. And there was written therein lamentations, mourning, and woe. And so this is what we find also spoken of here in the book of Zechariah. Jeremiah also concurs. Then Jeremiah, called Baruch, Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Now, you know the drill, right? In the Old Testament times, they didn't have, I mean, now we have the whole Bible on our phones and on little tiny Bibles. They had large scrolls that they read then, right? And of course, the Hebrew read from this side to this side, and so they'd open it up. And, but this was a huge scroll, right? 15 by 30 feet. This was like a billboard flying. And so God is trying to say something to the human race with this billboard. Scroll being the Ten Commandments, Moses turned and went down, Exodus 32:15. Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. By the way, there are tables of testimony or tables of witness. Witness to what? Well, they want to witness the righteousness of God in you. And I'm getting ahead of where I'm going, but couldn't resist. The two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other, they were written. Same language we see here in the book of Zechariah. And there's a picture of the commandments. One gospel, two results, right? I mean, when Jesus comes, it's not two different Jesuses. It's one Jesus, right? And some are, oh, we've waited for him. He will save us. Others are like, let the rocks and stones fall on me so I don't have to look at him, right? Same Jesus, two very different results, two very opposite reactions, toward the gospel. Verse 2, this scroll is flying and it's the exact size of the holy place of the sanctuary. Now this to me was very interesting. It's also the size of the outer court of the temple. What happened in the outer court of the temple? That's where the law was read. But this, but this is very interesting to me too. This exact size of the holy place of the sanctuary. Now, just in our last sermon, right, we saw the menorah, right, the golden lampstand. Where is that? It's in the holy place. So this is interesting the way this comes together to me. The sanctuary is an illustration of how God saves people. The sanctuary is an illustration of how God judges people also. 
I think that's an interesting point. We think of the first part, maybe not so much the second part. And so there in that holy place was the golden lampstand. We just saw it a chapter before here in the book of Zechariah. There were the tables of showbread, the word of God, the light, God as light, God as the word, uh, the incense that wafted out and even over into the most holy place, symbolizing the righteousness of Christ. These are the things that really judge us, shall we say, right? We're judged by the word. We're judged by the light. We're judged by the righteousness of Christ. Do we have it on? That was the case in the wedding garment, right? Did he have the garment on or did he not? That's what was judged. And so maybe that'll help us make a little more sense out of this verse, which I know you've, you've read. Um, you can go all through chapter 73, um, Psalm 73 where he says this, I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why, Lord? I'm living right and they're living wrong and they seem to be blessed and I don't seem to be blessed. What is up with this, right? This is what he's saying. I thought I had cleansed my heart in vain. Why am I doing all this stuff? Until, until he looked where? In the sanctuary. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Very interesting. So judgment is there in the sanctuary. And, and what he understood was, wow, they're not enjoying Christ as the light, as their righteousness, as their word. And that indeed is the judgment. Verse three, this flying scroll contains the law. Now, is the law a curse? Well, it can be a curse to the lawbreaker, right? But someone has already taken the curse upon him. Amen? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, <clears throat> this is very interesting. It says twice, it says, according to it, according to it. And I'm like, why did God put that in there, according to it? I think this is a last day scenario. And I think, according to it, because the Bible is it, right? The Ten Commandments are it. But, there, but this kind of gives me the idea that there's another standard out there. There's this standard, according to it, but then there's your own standard. And don't we have that today? I mean, today in our world, there are these uh, standards of morality, shall you call them. And quite frankly, they're going down, 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 Right? We just had Pride Month. Are we still in it? No, we're in July now. But I mean, that's the standard of morality. Now you have to use, is it pronouns? You have to use the little, you know, after your name, you're supposed to, in some contexts, you have to, you know, write uh, Rob Bernardo, he, him, his, or something like that. This is our standard of morality? Well, God says, according to it, amen? We may have our standard of morality, but that's not God's. God has a standard of morality that, we, that is the standard for Christian living, amen? It's his standard. Verse four, we saw this also. This curse is from God. It enters the house. It remains until it consumes completely. 
when the last decision has been made, when all have taken their sides, either for Christ and the commandments of God, or for the great apostate, God will arise in his power, and the mouths of those who have blasphemed against him will be forever stopped. Every opposing power will receive its punishment. Now, we know that God is a God of love. Amen? So all this has to be done in the context of love. In the book of Revelation, he's the lion and the lamb, right? He's not sometimes the lion, you know, I feel like a lion today or tomorrow I'll be a lamb. No, no, he's the lion lamb, right? It's, it's one. And so all I can say is we can trust God's judgment. Amen? However he does it, uh, we can trust him to do it right. And the, the book of Revelation understood that. Just and true are your ways, right? Your judgments are right, Lord. Everything you've done, when we get to the end of the road, we'll look back and say, you know what? Everything he did was just right. He did everything in the context of agape. He tried to save everybody on the planet. I mean, he pulled out all the stops. Goodness and mercy were following them all the days of their life, and they would not. That's the God we serve, who loves. But this final hideous thing called sin must be done away with, right? And those who will hold on to it without, you know, and without relinquishing, no matter what God does, God has no choice. Because sin must be done away with. Wickedness must be obliterated. It is really the sword of the wicked that pierces their own soul. That's what Psalm 37, 15 says. Great text. Look it up. So God will have a clean universe where joy reigns, right? Sin and sinners will be no more. The great controversy has ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. Oh, I can't wait for this day. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare what? God is love. Amen. Amen. Now Christ bore the curse for us. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. This is an important text. We've got to look at this one together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> because Christ bore the curse. Anyone that is bearing the curse, this, this flying scroll is only because they have, they have kept back or they have withheld themselves from their birthright possession that Christ has already given them. He's done it. He's done it for all, but not all will receive. Some would rather hold on to their sins. Galatians 3, verse 10 and onward. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So the curse of the law is disobedience. That's what that tells us. Cursed is the one that continues not in the things that are written. But that no man is justified 
by the law in the sight of God. That is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Paul is making the contrast here to the Galatians. It's not you uh, or God plus you. It's all God, and you must receive it his way. That's the essence of the new covenant also. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, disobedience, being made a curse for us. He became sin for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And that's written in the Old Testament. And that's what they believed. And that's what Christ suffered for us, the curse of the law. So that that flying scroll should have no uh, curse for us because Christ has already silenced the bold accuser by the cross. Have you accepted that and allowed that to work in your life? Okay, just quickly here, we will go on a little Bible study um, regarding the law and the law's place in righteousness by faith. Okay, so here's what the law does. And you might have thought of one of these things, and this will go actually fairly quickly. But you can turn, if you want to start turning, you can turn to Romans chapter 3, because that's where we're going to start. Romans 3, verse 19. Thank you, Lloyd Erickson, for reading that for us. Uh, The law helps us to see sin for what it is. All right, that's the first thing it does. Sin points out, I mean, the law points out sin, right? It shows us what sin is. But it it has a purpose. The purpose for pointing out what sin is is that we might receive the more abounding grace. Come on, say amen. That's the law's purpose. It doesn't want to leave us there. It requires agape love, a pure heart, an unfeigned conscience. We don't have it. So it provides it. Christ provides it. The law doesn't provide it. That shouldn't say it provides it. Christ provides it. And then after we have the righteousness of Christ, the law does something else. It witnesses to the fact that we have the righteousness of Christ. And of course, then it must witness against those who choose their works instead of his. And so the law is to be written on the heart. All right, let's look at this. Romans, quick Bible study here. As we close, Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 says this. Again, I got the King James here. Now we know what things soever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So that is what the law is trying to do. It's what it's trying to teach us. Verse 20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. So before Paul tells you how to be justified, he tells you how not to be justified. By the deeds of the law, no way, no flesh justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of what? Is the knowledge of sin, right? So that's what we said. That's what the law does. It shows us, it's like a mirror, right? And it doesn't lie. I mean, it shows us. It's Shows us it's the knowledge of sin. All right, we're here in Romans. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 13. 
Actually, verse 12. Chapter 7 of Romans and verse 12. Cannot spend enough time in this book, I tell you. Romans 7, verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. Verse 13. What then was that which is made, sorry, was then that which is made death unto me? Was then that which is good made death unto me? That's better. God forbid, right? No, no, this, this isn't made death unto me. But sin, that it might appear sin. So this is the reason for the giving of the law, that sin might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So that law is to show us, right? It shows us who we are. It shows us our sin, but it doesn't just leave us there. That's not its purpose. If you ever use the law for that purpose only, if anybody ever uses it for that purpose only, it's the wrong purpose. Go back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. It's on the same page for me or the other page. I don't have to turn a page. Romans 5 and verse 20. Why did the law enter? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. This agrees with Romans 7. It agrees with Romans 3. But he doesn't stop there. But where sin abounded, what else happens? Grace abounds. Did I get that right? Grace abounds. What does it say? It much more abounds, right? It doesn't just abound, it much more abounds. So God, the the law takes us there, right? And shows us who we are in that mirror. But then it says, look to him, amen? Look to Christ. And he doesn't just abound. He much more, if he just abounded, that'd be good, wouldn't it? That'd be really good. But no, no, he much more abounds. There's much more abounding grace. And so, really, when the law shows us our sin, there is no reason to be depressed about it. Take it to Jesus, amen? Where the grace much more abounds. That's the whole purpose of the law, is to get you there. Not to condemn, but to get you there. And it goes on when it says this, says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace did much more abound. And then it does something more. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now this grace is to reign on our heart. Just like sin reigned, Grace reigns, right? It, it rules. It's, it's, it's a king on our heart that, you know, we're just in, it's, it's enthroned. We're, we're looking to grace, which is much more powerful than sin. Where sin reigned, grace much more reigns. Good news for us today. Christ demands righteousness. Christ supplies righteousness. All his biddings are enabling. So he's not going to say, go do this and not give you the power to go do that. Oh, he does it. Yes, he does it. Back to Romans chapter three. 
One more verse there, and I've got a little reading for you. Out of this book, which we redid right here from the Battle Creek Tabernacle, The Sounding of the Third Angel. This contains 12 sermons by A.T. Jones that he delivered to the Ministerial Institute and to the General Conference Session in 1893. There were 24 sermons altogether, but this has 12 of them. We redid it in a little smaller book. If you like the cover art, my son-in-law is the one that did that. All right. So Romans 3, and you got to see this as we're closing. All right, so the law shows us sin, but then it wants to take us to Christ where we receive more abounding grace. And then once we receive that grace, what does the law do? Comes back and says, yeah. Yeah, Cortez got it. Phil Essex, he got it, right? The law witnesses to the fact that we have the thing that it gave us to begin with. I'll prove it to you, Romans 3. And we read it, <clears throat> that every mouth may be stopped, verse 19, that all the world may become guilty before God, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh is justified, verse 20 in his sight, by the laws and knowledge of sin. But now, this is the turning point in really the whole book of Romans, certainly in chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. And then what does it say next? being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So that mirror all of a sudden is still doing the same thing it was doing before, really. It's just showing, yeah, that righteousness of Christ is there, right? It's witnessing to the fact that the righteousness is there. Oh, there will be two groups in the last day, two great companies there are going to be some there when the door is shut and they want to come in. They'll say, Lord, open the door to us. We want to come in. And someone comes and asks, what have you done that you should come in? What right do you have to enter and get the inheritance there? What claim have you upon that? Oh, we are accustomed with you. We have all eaten and drunken in your presence. We have... You have taught in our streets. Yes, besides that, we have prophesied in your name. In your name, we have cast out devils. In your name, we have done many wonderful works. Why, we have done many wonderful things. Lord, isn't that, I mean, isn't that evidence enough? Open the door. What's the answer? Depart from me, right? Depart from me, you that work iniquity. What did they say? Remember what they said? We, right? We have done many wonderful works. We have done them. We are all right. We are righteous. We are just. Exactly right. Therefore, we have a right to be there. Open the door. But we does not count here, does it? There's going to be another company. By faith, I see all of you in that company. On that great day, a great multitude that no man can number, all nation and kindreds and tongues and peoples, and they will come up to enter in. And if anyone should ask them that question, ask you that question, ask me that question, what have you done that you should enter here? 
What claim have you here? The answer would be, the answer should be, oh, I have not done anything at all to deserve it. I am a sinner, dependent only on the grace of the Lord. Oh, I was so wretched, so completely captive and in such a bondage that nobody could deliver me but the Lord himself. I was so miserable that all I could ever do was to have the Lord constantly comfort me. I was so poor that I had to constantly beg from the Lord. I was so blind that no one but the Lord could cause me to see and so naked that no one could clothe me but the Lord himself. All the claim that I have is just what Jesus has done for me. But the Lord has loved me. When in my wretchedness, wretchedness I cried, he delivered me. When in my misery I wanted comfort, he comforted me all the way. When in my poverty I begged, he gave riches. When in my blindness I asked him to show me the way that I might know the way, he led me all the way and made me to see. When I was so naked that no one could clothe me, why, he gave me this garment that I have on. So all that I can present, all that I have to present as that upon which I can enter, any claim that would cause me to enter is just what he has done for me. If that will not pass, if that will not pass me, then I will be left out. And that will be just too. If I am left out, I have no complaint to make. But oh, will not this entitle me and possess the inheritance? But he says, now we get to the law as witness. But he says, well, there are some very particular persons here. They want to be satisfied with everyone that goes by here. We have 10 examiners here. When they look into a man's case, they say that he is all right. Why then he can pass. Are you willing that these shall be called to examine your case? And we shall answer yes, yes, because I want to enter in and I'm willing to submit to any examination because even if I am left out, I have no complaint to make. I am lost anyway when I am left to myself. Well, he says, we will call them then. And so those 10 are brought up and they say, why, yes, we are perfectly satisfied with him. Why, yes, the deliverance he has obtained from his wretchedness is that which our Lord wrought, the comfort that he had all the way and that he needed so much is that which the Lord gave the wealth that he has, whatever he has, poor as he was, the Lord gave it. And blind, whatever he sees, it is the Lord that gave it to him. And he sees only what is the Lord's. Naked as he was, that garment that he has on, the Lord gave it to him. The Lord wove it. It's all divine. It is only Christ. Why, yes, yes, they can come in. By the way, here back in 1893, we're going to sing this in a moment, but right here the congregation just broke in and sang, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
And then, brethren, sisters, there will come over the gates a voice of sweetest music, full of the gentleness and compassion of my Savior. The voice will come from within. Come in, you blessed of the Lord. Congregation said, Amen. Why do you stand without and the gate will be swung wide open and we shall have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, He is a complete Savior. He is my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul shall rejoice in the Lord. Brethren, tonight... Oh, I say with David, come and magnify the Lord with me. Exalt his name together. He has made complete satisfaction. There is not anything against us, brethren. The way is clear. The road is open. The righteousness of Christ satisfies. That is light and love and joy and eternal excellence. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful today for the sacrifice of Christ and that you, God, were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself, that Jesus would become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, and thank you so much, Father, that the law, after pointing us to you and then we receive this much more abounding grace. The law comes back and witnesses to the fact that it's there and that it's all of you from beginning to end. That spotless, pure robe woven in the loom of heaven without one thread of our human devising. Oh, Father, may that be the experience of each one here as we look to you in these last days upon which the end shall come. And, O oh Lord, that we might look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. Jesus paid it all, and we're so grateful. In his name we pray. Amen.